were studying a short passage from 1 John. We're in the second chapter, beginning at verse 3, and I will read as we start. Now by this we may be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Whoever says, I have come to know him, but does not obey his commandments is a liar. And in such a person the truth does not exist. But whoever obeys his word, truly in this person, the love of God has reached perfection. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says, quote, I abide in him, end quote, ought to walk just as he walks. Amen. We begin today with a question that comes directly from our passage. How is it that we know God? The most common way we know God is usually from other people. Family or friends tell us or teach us about the Lord. In this way, we begin to know about God, which is a blessing, especially for those of a young age. Maybe someone invites us to worship or a small group. If we're older, maybe someone gives us a book or we begin to watch the lives of those around us who say that they know God to see if they're different or to see if we can catch a glimpse of goodness and also hypocrisy or any weirdness. Because however much we might want God to be real, we are naturally suspicious. At some point, we would take a look at what the Bible says. We may dig in deeper to theological questions that plague us, such as suffering, sin, miracles. What's up with those? There are conversations, sometimes many conversations we would have with believers. We might look at other religions to make sure that there isn't something there for us. At a crisis point or a formative time in our lives, we would most definitely, definitely seek the Lord. If we've been raised in the faith, this might be the time that we explore the faith and make it our own so we can figure out what we believe about what it is that we have been taught. The time comes when we either claim the faith as our own or not. But if we do, then we come to understand and believe in what it means to know God, decide to follow Jesus based on the life that he came to give and die to ourselves as we are raised to new life. In all of these experiences of trying to ascertain who God is, the truth is that all revelation comes from God alone. God is the one who invites us to seek him. God wants to be known and will do anything for all of us to come to understand who he is and how much love he has for us. So knowing God can be a process or can happen all at once. It can be dramatic or gentle. It is ongoing. It is unique to each of us, but consistently similar because God is the same from generation to generation. He doesn't change that means the revelation of who he is can be taught again and again and understood. Now, John's emphasis on knowing God is also found in the gospel he wrote. And Nikki is right. We're going to go back a little bit to the gospel today. In fact, much of the material from 1 John is found in the last part of the gospel of John, especially in the teachings of Jesus in the Last Supper and the prayer of Jesus before the cross in John 17. So listen to a well-known snippet of that prayer, a few well-known snippets. Jesus is praying to the Father. Now this is eternal life, he says, that they know you, 
the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Later he says, I have revealed you, Father, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They know that everything you have given me comes from you. Many verses later, he says, I pray that the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And then he says, righteous father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Do you ever just take scripture and just read it out loud? It's different than when we just kind of cursorily go through it. We know God because God wants to be known. That has always been his plan. And just when people were struggling to understand what it meant to know him at just the right time, the Bible says Jesus shows up to make things very clear. And some might argue, well, Christianity, pastor, isn't very clear. <laughs> but it is hard to comprehend what else Jesus could have done and continues to do to make God more known. And yet, how can we be sure we know him? This is actually John's question, his point. How is it that we can be sure that we know God? And John offers three ways here of how we can be certain. He says we can be certain by obeying his commandments. We can be certain by demonstrating the love of God. And we can be certain by walking as Jesus walked. John is asserting that knowing God is actually something we can fully experience in our lives, which would have been a comfort and an encouragement to the early church and also to Christians like us today who often hear how God is not real and maybe not fully knowable. So let's start with obedience. John changes the narrative from not sinning from the passage last week to obedience. And we wonder, is that the same thing? They are certainly similar. While someone can focus their efforts on the mechanics of not sinning, the word obedience is tied into what it means to be in relationship with God. And again, John confronts the lie that it is possible for anyone to say they know God if they are not obedient. We talked about this at length last week, so we're not going to go too, too deeply into it today, but I want to talk for a second about how the idea here is that sin is deceptive. To disobey God means that we think we know best, or at the very least, it means that we think we might be able to get away with something that we want. Consider the snake in the garden from Genesis 3. Did God really say for you not to eat the fruit? Surely you will not die. God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and then you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Parentheses calling Hurley Bates. Don't you want that? So let's think about this for a second. The enemy here maligns the character of God. 
the enemy makes up what God's intentions are. And the enemy denies that sin is actually sin, all the while enticing Adam and Eve that they can be as great or as powerful as the all-knowing God. This is a cautionary tale for us of how we have to remember that we can't rely on our feelings, which can contradict God's best for us. And we need to remember that we are vulnerable to how sin lies to us. So many who don't obey God around us live exactly as they desire. And then they tell us, why aren't you doing that too? Decent, loving, likable people defy God every day as if there's no harm in it. I think we need an amen for that. What people believe about right and wrong is played out in front of us. And this is why we have to take time to listen to the still small voice of God who has told us what we need to do in order to obey and to live. Last week, I mentioned a bumper sticker I saw that proclaimed what someone thought about being born again. There's a whole sermon I wrote when I was younger in my ministry called Bumper Sticker Theology because often people put their beliefs on the back of their car so they can proclaim their truth without really any input or real discussion from anybody else. That's a subject for another day, but here's another one I saw last week. Good people disobey bad laws. Now Mark and I saw that and I go, that's a theology. So let's start and just parse this out just a little bit. Let's begin with how Jesus teaches that there is no one good except for God. Let's start there. What does it mean when the person says uh, good? They didn't say moral or upright or informed citizens, just good. And the message seems to be that if someone is good in all ways, it's okay for them to disobey a law that they think is bad. Well, that has huge ramifications for everyone in every society, doesn't it? What kind of law are we talking about? Years ago, we had a friend who took the seatbelt out of his car because he thought that that was a dumb law. Well, what if all of us as good people wanted to disobey the law that we didn't want to follow? And if we all did that in the name of our rights or the laws that we think don't apply to us, we call that anarchy, don't we? To be clear, I want to say there are bad laws in society. And in our country, we are fortunate that we have the right to protest and practice civil disobedience and to work tirelessly to change them. And some of our greatest breakthroughs have come in history when people have stood up and spoken against the unjust laws, which took away the rights and the dignity and the humanity of people. But as Christians, we got to think about these things because our first allegiance is to the kingdom. And our relationship with Jesus means that he is our Lord. And so we seek him in how we live out the mandates of the governing bodies of our world. But it occurred to me that the message of the bumper sticker could have been one that the snake carried into the garden. That basically was the message, wasn't it? Adam and Eve, you don't have to obey God. Because the rule that he made about the tree was a bad one. You're good enough on your own. You can decide what's right. You don't need God. I think he's kind of threatened by you. 
He doesn't want you to be like him. I sometimes wonder what would have happened if those two would have gone to God and said, wow, this really weird thing happened. This snake came and talked to us and told us to do something you specifically told us to do. Can we talk about that? Because the fruit looks really good. And why did you make that rule again? Then I remember the times I didn't go to God in my rebellion and ignorance before I chose to do my own will, and I let that question go. As humans, we so resist anyone telling us what to do. John is telling us that we know God more when we choose to obey him. When we're surrendered to his sovereignty, even in the times that we don't like it, that we should go to him and we should wrestle with him and say, what is up with this? It's worth examining what our relationship with authority actually is especially in these days where there's lots of conversation about that and how our relationship with authority has ramifications in our walk with the Lord. Knowing God more means adhering to his will. If we're struggling to know God, is it because we're struggling to obey? The second way we can be sure we know God is by demonstrating how we love This week, I wrote a short devotional in our Cliff Drive Care Center newsletter that goes out to our families each month. I told them that when our daughter was three, I had an epiphany about the whole process of being a parent and a thought that had never occurred to me, and it was this. I was suddenly struck how much God loved us more than I ever imagined. I felt as though I had a new insight into God's character because of being a parent. In the joys and challenges of raising a toddler, I was reminded of the very real ways that God deals with us as a loving parent because we are his children. Think about it. When we're cranky and unreasonable, when we ask incessant questions, he has already given us the answers to. When we're giddy about something fun in our life and we trippingly go off. When we tell him, no. When we learn something new and grow up a little. When we help others out. When we want our space and just to ignore him thinking he can't see us. With our children in those moments, we have the opportunity to come alongside of them with kindness and unconditional love in the same way that God does us, and also truth. To listen and to meet them where they are instead of reacting strongly against them or exerting our power over them because they're so little and don't understand. I was so grateful for this picture because it gave me a better appreciation for the role God plays in our lives and it reminded me that we are not alone as we raise up children and the next generation, whatever that means for us. And it made me understand a bigger picture of what it means to nurture in eternal ways. John here is teaching that a way of expressing obedience to God is in how we love. His point is that there are outward signs where we show our devotion to God. As Jim talked about today, how we embody, how we embody God's spirit. As Wesleyans, Wesleyans, we understand perfection to mean the maturity of earnestly following Christ. In our lives, are we embodying the two greatest commandments Jesus gave, that we are growing in love for God and growing in love for our neighbor? This is not a trite saying. It is hard to love 
God and love our neighbor in the way that God expects us to. Again, John says that the more we love, the more we will know who God is. It's also true that the more we know God, the more we will love. So let's take a moment and just seek the Lord about this issue in our lives. This is a matter of the heart. It is vital to us. So ask Jesus to affirm the places where you are loving as he would, where he is pleased for how you are extending his compassion and kindness and grace. And let us ask the Lord where it is that we need his help. Where are we not doing so well in loving others the way he would have us? Lord, we who have received your love want to know more how it is that we can express our love to you and to others in our lives. We invite you to speak. Speak, Lord, about this to us, the truth that you see in us, in our attitudes, God, in our actions. Show us, Lord, affirm us, and also, God, point out where we lack. Remind us how we can know you more as we love others. Lastly, John says that we can be sure we know God by abiding in him. Now, of course, this image of abiding comes from John 15, where Jesus teaches a lesson from horticulture. Here are some words from that passage. I am the vine, he says, and you are the branches. My father is the gardener. If you remain in me and I am in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are a branch that withers and needs to be thrown away. As I have loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now the word abide here, by using this word abide, John is reemphasizing how Christ wants to have oneness with him as a life-giving vine does with a healthy branch. This is a picture of utter dependence on the Lord. The branch needs the sustenance that only the vine can give to it. And abiding means staying, remaining, staying put in Christ. Jesus came to live among us so we can live fully in him. How do we know, how do we know God, John says, by being one with Christ? But there's more here that John says about this. John says, if we abide in Christ, then we ought to walk as Jesus walked. The earthly life of Jesus is held up as a model. The people who left John's church would have refuted this teaching because of how they separated out the physical and the spiritual realm. But John is very firm that our daily life speak just as loudly as our words do. Since Jesus had full alignment with who he was and what he said, John is telling us that this should be true of us as well. Some of the best thinking on this subject 
for the church comes from Thomas Akempis, who was born in Germany in 1380, a time that many felt was the end of the world. There were constant wars, and the bubonic plague was raging and would kill 25 million people. The church was torn apart by two popes vying for power, known as the Western Schism. There were peasant revolts, and the poor were taken advantage of due to lack of protection. Thomas was born into great poverty, and when he began his formal education at the age of 12 at a Christian school in the Netherlands, he was supported by the church, who paid for it. At the age of 20, he entered formally into a monastery where his role was to copy manuscripts as well as the Bible, which he did four times. Once ordained into priesthood, he began instructing the novices in the spiritual life. And in this role, he wrote four booklets that have come to be known quite popularly as the Imitation of Christ which has endured in many languages and is such a good and rich devotional for us today. Here is a quote from that work with Jesus speaking. My child, you will be able to enter into me insofar as you are prepared to forsake yourself. And as the absence of craving for material things makes for inner peace, so does the forsaking of self unite a person's heart to God. I wish you to learn perfect self-surrender and to accept my will without argument or complaint. Follow me, I who am the way, the truth, and the life. Here's the gold. Without the way, there is no progress. Without the truth, there is no knowledge. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way you must follow, the truth you must believe, and the life for which you must hope. Oh, thank you, God, for Thomas Akempis. These words are like oil poured over our heads. Jesus walked in absolute communion and dependence on the Father. What a model he was for us. What a model he continues to be, demonstrating God's love for all, being obedient to the point of death, and staying truly connected to the Father. For those who want to know God, John says, walk as Jesus walked. I want to reread some words from Jesus from John 17 as we close. Father, Jesus says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. How are we sure that we know God? He lives in those who accept him and those who continue to want to know him through obedience. What a joy to be God's beloved children, looking up to him, following in his footsteps, loving as he did. Let's take a moment and hear the loving words of the Father as we take time in silence before him. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.